Christians were on the run. They had no rights and they were in great danger. Paul actually wrote this letter while on house arrest in Rome. And despite his circumstances, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, describing the fullness and richness of life in Christ. Paul knew that if the Ephesians understood who they were and began to live in Christ, the world would never be the same. The same can be true for today. If we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understood what it meant to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, to be the church, our city and our world would never be the same. Never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Good morning again. Welcome to you and welcome to those that are watching this morning online with us. I don't often do this, but occasionally we have a special guest and we have one this morning with us. Um, Miss Melissa, would you just stand up and say hi? I want to tell y'all who Melissa is. Melissa is the faculty member at Bab Middle School that lets us walk in that school every Thursday morning and share the gospel of Christ. So she's a hero, and mom is here from Michigan hanging out. Yes, we're grateful for that. So thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for being here in worship with us today. Um, we are in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is six chapters, 155 verses. We've looked at 23 of those, and today we will look at eight more of them. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, and we will read verses 1 through 8, focusing on 1 through 7. So Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 1, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. Don't you love those words in Scripture? This is who we were, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show us the exceedingly riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In chapter 1, Paul told us that we had blessings from God the Father, blessings from God the Son, blessings from God the Holy Spirit. And then in, ver uh, 
later in chapter 1, he began to pray. And he was praying for, writing the prayer to the people in Ephesus, but by the divine nature and power of the Holy Spirit, he was also writing and praying for you and me. And what he was praying was that we would be illuminated. He wanted us to be able not only to hear and know in our head all that we had in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he wanted that to transfer from our head to our heart so that it would affect our character and ultimately affect our behavior, our belief, our surrender, our obedience. And he is praying that for us. And then when he finishes that prayer, and he says, Amen to that prayer, then he walks in, he says, But let me remind you. Let me remind you. He says, And you he made alive. Now, if he had to make you alive, what is the implication there? We were dead. He goes on to tell us, he says, not only did I make you alive, I brought you to life, but he tells us how we were dead. He says you were dead in trespasses, and he says that you were dead in sin. We were separated from God. And I think verse 12 of chapter 2 will help us understand that even a little bit better. That at that time, remember, that at that time, Time, what time? That moment when you realized that Jesus was the Christ. At that moment that you realized that his death on the cross was for you. At that moment that you realized that the blood that he shed would cleanse you. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing when we talk about blood today. We more think of blood as being a stain. But when we talk about blood in the scripture, it is the ultimate cleansing agent. And he says, you were dead, that at that time you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. In other words, you were living your life, you were living it without hope, hopeless, and not only that, you were walking around without God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I cannot imagine walking around without God. I cannot imagine walking around being who I am and not having him to call on. But Paul says, as for you, that's where you were. So it really comes down to the idea of cherish or perish. We either cherish Christ and the gift that he gave us on the cross at Calvary, or the scripture says that we perish. Let me just read some verses to you. Romans 8, 28 says, For we all, for we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God. Now you could say right there, cherish God. For all those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Do you want all things in your life to work together for the good? Yes, cherish God is what Paul's told us in Romans. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9. What no eye has seen nor ear heard, God has prepared for those who love Him. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see what God has prepared for your life? Cherish Christ. 2 Timothy 4.8 There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Say, I want my crown. Oh yeah, well how do you get your crown? The scripture says, the, Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, but not only to me, but also to all those who loved His appearing. 1 Corinthians 16.22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Do you want to live your life without a curse on it? Love God. 
Paul is telling us here to love Jesus, that Jesus has done something supernatural. He's done something amazing. He tells us the key to life is loving God. And in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2, he has now told us why we need Jesus. Go, let's go back to verse 1. In verse 1, he said, we need a Savior. We need Jesus because of our corruption in sin. Your life was corrupt. There's nothing you can do about that. You were born with it. It's your nature, and it is there, and only Jesus can change it. In verse 2, he says, we need a Savior because of our captivity to Satan. Literally, before Christ, you were bound in chains and shackles, not only to the person of Satan or the individual of Satan, but to the ways of him. You could not set yourself free. We just sang it, amazing grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. You are set free, not by works, but you're set free by grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says you need a Savior because you're corrupt. Paul says you need a Savior because you're a captive. Paul says in verse 3, we need a Savior because of our condemnation to hell. That's a hard word. In fact, many times when you start saying condemnation and hell and looking at people and saying that's where you are and, and that's the condition of your life, people start bringing up old words like fire and brimstone, hellfire. And boy, the preacher must have been mad at somebody today because all he's doing is telling me I'm going to hell. I'm not telling you you're going to hell. The scripture is telling you that apart from Christ you're going to hell. If you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at God, not me. What is it? Don't shoot the messenger. I'm telling you what the scripture tells you. It says that you are condemned to a lifestyle of hell. Imagine yourself this morning in a crisis. And I just pulled a few out of the headlines. Imagine yourself in a crisis, a madman driving a van into a crowd. A streaking plane crashing towards earth. Being carjacked at a gas station. A gunman opening fire in a crowded place. I don't know what else you could have imagined, but I will tell you this. Whatever crisis you could imagine and how horrific that crisis is, it pales in comparison to the crisis of your condition in the moment that you realize that you are without Christ. You see, because if you're in Christ and you face one of those conditions, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if you find yourself in the crisis of being without Christ, if your life ends on this earth, you are eternally separated from God. That's the crisis. No one in the world wants you to know this. Only people that love you and love Jesus will tell you that apart from Christ, this is your life. Because we live in a culture, we live in a society where everybody wants to be told they're okay. People want us to believe we're okay. Newscasters want us to believe we're okay. In fact, they want us to believe we're okay so much that they will take the focus away from the real problem and put it on the economy and politics and world dealings. And if, we're, and if those things get a little bit stale in the news, they go find another crisis. In fact, you cannot keep up with all the 
crises that are going on because it's here and it's there and it's yonder. And every time you open and close your news out, there's a new thing going on because as long as you're focusing on the symptoms and not the problem, you will always be running scared. Jesus says, put your eyes on me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things that are popping up faster than you can keep up with them, all of these things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, righteousness, and all these things will be added. You see, <laughs> there can be peace in the storm. And the peace in the storm comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we've got the bad news that we're condemned to hell. We've got the bad news that we're a captive of Satan. We've got the bad news that we are corrupt in sin. But Paul in verses 4 through 7 shifts from the bad news to the good news. Because listen to me. Good news is not good news unless you've got bad news to compare it to. So there is bad news, but there's good news that's better than the bad news. And the good news is what will set you free. In verse 4. It says, um, we've just learned that we, in verse 1, we were dead in sin, but God made us alive with Christ. In verse 2, we learned that we were captive to Satan and his schemes, but God raised us up with Christ and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places. In verse 3, we learned that we were children of wrath, deserving of hell. But verse 7, Paul says, but God poured out immeasurable riches of his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, let's wrestle just a moment. Let's wrestle with the scripture here just a minute. Let's compare verse 3 with verse 7. We were children of wrath, but God promises endless kindness. Verse 2 and verse 6, we were enslaved to the spirit of this age, that's Satan, but God freed us to sit with Christ in heaven. Compare verse 1 to verse um, five and six, we were dead in sin, but God made us alive with Christ. Okay, so here we go. First of all, what, are we, what were we? We were here, but we got kindness in place of wrath. In verse three, at the end, it says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature, we were so rebellious against the law that we were suitable objects of God's wrath. We were fairly judged. Jesus, in his mercy, warned us of hell. In fact, the way he said it to us in Matthew 5.30, he's the one who warned the church most vividly to cut off your sinning hand rather to go to hell with two hands. All right? He's the one in Matthew 8.12 that warns that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there. He's the one in Matthew 13.42 that says that all evildoers will be thrown into a furnace of fire. Now again, these are not the hostile harpings of an angry, spitting preacher. But they're the merciful words of a loving Savior who says, It is my desire that no one perish. He is the one telling us this. He's the one giving us this information. But just in such wonderful biblical fashion, He takes the warnings of hell and gives us the merciful promises of hope. In verse 7, where he spoke to us, he said, 
For those who trust Christ, God commits himself to the following purpose, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Notice how Paul is piling up the words there. Just in case we didn't grab the wonder of grace, he adds words like in kindness toward us. Now ask yourself this question this morning. If you, in the entire universe, if you could choose your kindness or choose the kindness of one, who would it be? Would it not be God? Who the scripture says is rich in grace, rich in mercy. Who is rich in forgiveness. Who is rich in love. Who is rich in faithfulness. Who is rich in trust. The one that will never leave you. The one that will never forsake you. Would you not this morning put your trust in that place if that's the only place that you could go or you could go anywhere? And again, if we're missing the magnitude of grace, if, if we're missing the magnitude of in kindness toward us, he adds riches. He adds exceeding riches that are being given to us. I looked it up. Queen Elizabeth is worth $4 billion. And let's suppose that this morning that every one of you, when you got to your car, a courier had brought a um, note, placed it in your car, and said that the Queen of England has decided this morning that each one of you would have access to her $4 billion. I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> that each one of you would have access to that $4 billion and that she, by the blood of her son, will make all of that $4 billion available for you for kindness. She's going to spend it all. Okay, so maybe 10 years, maybe 15, 20, 30, 40, 60, but at some point with all of us in this room getting all the kindness being heaped on us and exceedingly riches, that kind of thing, it's going to run out. And what Paul says, as amazing as it would be that if Queen Elizabeth used her $4 billion to make your life better, that God is going to put His riches into your life. It's available to everyone, and it never, ever, ever runs out. And it's not only in this age, meaning while you're right here, but it says in the ages to come. Now, I don't know how far those ages reach, but I know that eternity is an infinity. And so tomorrow when I wake up, He's got just as much as He had today, no matter how much He spent on you yesterday. That's the whole wonder and truth of Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. You see, isn't it amazing that God can work all things together for the good of, in Joyce's life, in Cindy's life, in Crystal's life, in Pat's life, and not ever, no, not once ever contradict your goodness to her goodness? Never. And that he could spend whatever you need today on you and yours and have an equal amount tomorrow to, to invest in her. And then just say all of us hit that moment where we had to call daddy and say, Hey, dad, I need. And it took something huge and he would still have it all again. Paul is saying to us, God, but God, 
He demonstrated love while we were still enemies, while we were still transgressors, while we were still in captivity. But God sent Christ so that we could have life, not just in eternity, but that we could have life right now. Abundant life is what John 10.10 would call it. You see, he says Jesus is merciful to us in that he gives us kindness in place of wrath. Jesus is kind to us in that he gives us merciful warnings about hell. Jesus is kind to us that he gives us merciful promises of hope. Before Christ, we were captive. The scripture says, because of Christ, we're seated in the heavenlies. You see, this is so amazing to me. I am not a resident here. I'm a resident of heaven. And I'm no longer a Gentile as compared to a Jew as the unchosen one. But the scripture says, because of Christ, that we're all made acceptable so do you understand that when we're having those conversations and when we live in a world where there's tension over ethnicity and tension over culture, that in Christ that those walls and those boundaries really can be removed and we need to begin to live like we're family? We need to begin to live as those who are joint heirs. We need to live as those who have been chosen. We need to strive and to work hard to break down the walls. And we need not only to break down the walls in here, but we need to walk out there and begin to knock down the walls. And we need to reach out. And we say, well, they didn't reach out to me. Maybe they don't know Jesus. But if you do, you're without excuse. We need to love people. They weren't kind. Love them anyway. They were this or they were that. Love them anyway. And if they are not kind back, Jesus is your friend always. He is your protector always. He is your defender always. We want people to see Christ. We want people to see us living countercultural. We want people to see us doing what Jesus did while we were strangers and aliens, while we were enemies, while we were in captive. He came to us to set us free. Because of Christ, we were before Christ, we were captive. Because of Christ, we're seated in the heavenlies. Because of Christ, Satan's power is broken. In a word, we were converted. God frees us from the spirit of the age, of this age, and of the God of this age. And he sets us free. Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be free from the power of sin? Don't you want to be free from the, from the grip of pain and have a place where you can take it and say, God, it hurts. But God, you told me I could cast my cares on you. You see, before Christ, you were a jellyfish. You know what a jellyfish does? It'll sting you. Yes, it will. It'll sting you bad. Pastor Russell, I need a jellyfish. Can you help me? Um, all right. All right. So he's a jellyfish. This room, that's right, he's doing that thing, keep him away. Um, this room is the ocean, and I'm the current. All right. He goes wherever the current goes, right? All right, now. 
Come back to me. Or you could be a dolphin. All right? So I'm kind of looking interested to watch this. I think this could be fun. He had the jellyfish down. Ready? Yes? Okay. He's a pretty good jellyfish. Or you can be the jellyfish that is tossed by the current, or you can be the dolphin of the sea that when I approach, you go and do your thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. See? Look at him. Yes. Bam. Got that dorsal fin coming up in the back. I love it. Listen to me, guys. Before Christ, you were a jellyfish. You were subject to the whims of the world. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came into you, He gave you power. He gave you a rudder. He gave you a tail fin, if you will, so that you can swim upstream against the current and you can explore all the wonder of the world. Go ahead and say it with me. I'm a dolphin. Oh, yes. We don't want any jellyfish in here. We want people that are swimming against the current, swimming towards godliness, swimming away from what the culture says is right, and swimming towards what the Lord Jesus says is the right way to live. The power is broken. We've got kindness in the place of wrath. We've got freedom in the place of captivity. We've got life in the place of death. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. As for you, he made alive who were dead. Say, I was dead. Oh, which, by the way, how many degrees of dead are there? Well, there's only one degree of dead, right? One second dead is just as bad as ten years dead. Would you agree with me? All right, now there are some differences in decay. This is where the church gets messed up. All right, we believe that good dead is better than bad dead. Right? We walk around going, I'm dead, but I'm kind of a good dead. I was nice to somebody today. My clothes are clean today. I drove to church in my car today. And then when we look out and see somebody that's bad dead, we go, woo, they're bad dead. I'm dead, but I'm not as bad as they are, so God, you're privileged that I showed up today. You need to listen. If you are dead, you are dead. But listen to this. When I was dead in my trespasses and sin, Jesus walked by the tomb where I was buried. And he didn't go, whoo, he stinks. No, when I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and Jesus walked by my tomb, he knelt down, looked in my tomb and said, Chris, come out. And he redeemed my life. You don't believe me? Look what he did to Lazarus. Okay? That's what he wants to do for you today. He wants to renew your life. And don't let Satan sell you this lie that says, well, you're a good dead. No, dead is bad unless you're dying to sin. See, he says that instead of death, we get life. We were spiritually impotent. The corruption of, was, of sin was so deep that we had no spiritual inclinations at all. But God, but God called you out. He said, come out, come alive, live. You're no longer a captive. You're no longer a trespasser. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer an enemy. 
Once we were dead in sin, but God made us alive. Once we were captive to Satan, but God made us free. Once we were children of wrath, but God has promised to spend eternity unwrapping the riches of His grace on you. So how do I get it? How do I get it? Look at verse 8. This is where verse 8 comes in. When He says to us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. So by grace, God gave you the faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And just so again, you don't think it's all on you or you did something. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. For by grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift. Now, it's an overused illustration, but it's a relevant illustration. I could reach out in my pocket and say, Miss Pat, I've got $20. It's yours. And you could have all the rights and the privileges of that $20 bequeathed to you, bestowed upon you. But until you took that $20 from my hand, you couldn't spend it. You see, when Jesus went to the cross at Calvary, He said, everything you need for life, everything you need to be set free, everything that you need to be called out of the tomb, it's yours. But by faith, you have to receive it. By faith, you have to embrace it. You have the privilege of it, but you can't spend it until by faith you call on Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works. What does that mean? It means that from here out, you trust in your heart that the death of Christ has covered your sins, guaranteed the promises of God on your behalf. By grace, you've been saved through faith. So I urge you this morning to trust Christ. Trust Him with your sin. Trust Him with your relationships. Trust Him with your job. Trust Him with your health. Trust Him with your money and your leisure. And trust Him with your future all the way to eternity. For He is the great God of wonders. He makes the dead to live. He sets the captives free. And he will spend eternity lavishing his riches, the riches of his kindness, on you. So I truly believe this morning we, we find ourselves in, in one of two places. We find ourselves, find ourselves as, the, as the person who's never trusted Christ by faith to come into our lives and draw us from deadness. Or we find ourselves as that person that has at some point in our life trusted Christ to bring us from, to take us away from deadness, to, to give us life, to give us hope, to give us victory, a relationship with Him through Christ. And then we've turned our eyes away and said, you know what, I know you were driving the car, God, but I tell you what, for this little time, I'm going to take back over. I'm going to drive it. God, I haven't been trusting you with my health. God, I haven't been trusting you with my wealth. 
God, I haven't been trusting you with my relationships. God, I haven't been trusting you with my present. God, I haven't been trusting you with my future. And today, God, I'm going to trust you. Whatever it takes, I will trust you. Now listen to me. You could have made that promise yesterday, and you need to make it again today. It's not a one-time promise. It's not a one-time commitment. It's a daily follow-through. And you say, well, pastor, you don't know how bad I blew it yesterday. You may, you're right, I don't. Truth, I don't want to know. But God knows. And God says that right now, He lavished His kindness on you. In another place, He says His mercy is new every morning. The cool thing about God is you can begin again, 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 begin again. You can. Because at that moment that He convicts you of sin, the Scripture says if you confess that sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And Psalm 103 verse 12 says that when He forgives you and cleanses you from unrighteousness, that He separates it as far as the east is from the west. Now you, maybe you're just like good dead. And you don't get the magnitude of him separating you from as far as the east is from the west. But if you're a bad dead, that stanky dead, you know what I'm talking about? That roadkill dead? Because that's just as dead as pretty dead, by the way. If you're that kind of dead, when he says, I've separated you as far, your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Man, there's nothing like it. And when you look in the mirror, you see your sin. But when God looks at you, He sees His Son. When God looks at you, He sees riches. He sees mercy. He sees forgiveness. He sees Him hanging on the cross and coming out of that tomb. And He sees Him ascending to heaven and now seated at His right hand with the whole debt paid. You know what I'm talking about? You pay off that bill, that credit card, and you don't have to make a payment next month. And you're like, yes! Well, every time that God looks at you, if you're in Christ, He goes, yes, that debt's paid. You have no more Dave Ramsey debt snowball going on in your life. Jesus paid it all. That's what I'm telling you. And oh, the shame, the horror of knowing that truth and walking out of here this morning In your shackles. And you can't step because you haven't called on Jesus to set you free. Because once he does, it's this. Would you call on him? Would you call on him today? See, in just a moment, we're going to have communion. Holy communion. Lord's Supper. Whatever you call it. Whatever you know it as. But the whole thing is symbolic of what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. He gave the body so he could shed the blood so that life could come into you. So in just a moment, we're going to have a time of response, a time of invitation, a time of commitment. And it's at that time that there will be staff standing here at the front to pray with you. It's at that time that this front is open for you to come and pray. It's at that time that you can come and talk to us. And we would love to help you 
and guide you towards spiritual renewal for some new life, for some rededication. But before you enter into this time, would you take a moment to reflect on the sacrifice of a man that loved you so much that he went to the cross and gave his body so that he could shed his blood so you could be his family. 